Okay, I want to continue to speak on prayer this morning, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week on the Lord's Prayer. And um, we've been discussing prayer for the past few weeks, I think in a really good fashion. I think it's really helpful for us to understand more how we should pray. And I think that when we listen and we um, see what the Lord's Prayer models for us, it really helps us to understand the priorities of prayer according to Jesus. I mean, this is a direct response to a question that his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. So if Jesus has something to say about prayer, I think it must be pretty important because he would say things that would be helpful to us, wouldn't he? So I think that as we listen to what the Lord talks to us in the Lord's Prayer, I believe we're going to hear some really good information. Stand with me, if you would, and let's recite the Lord's Prayer, and let's just begin the process of learning how to pray as Jesus taught us. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Father, we just come again to you this morning, and we just ask you, Lord, to give us your wisdom to discern how you would have us to pray, that we would use this as a model, and we would understand all the details and all the nuances and all the relationship issues and factors of what it means to pray this way. So I pray, Lord, that you'll just open our hearts, our spiritual minds, to hear and to know and to see what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we broke this passage down into segments, seven different segments. And uh, we started a couple, talking a couple of them about them uh, last week. Number one, we talked about uh, addressing God's position through praise and worship. The second segment is acknowledging that God is in control and he is sovereign. Thirdly, our request for our life's provision on a daily basis. Fourthly, a request for forgiveness and also a statement of our need to forgive others. The fifth segment is to request for help in our own fleshly temptations. Number six, request for deliverance and protection from the devil. And lastly, then in segment seven, that we're ending in more praise of God's eternal power and glory. So we're going to look at each one of these segments and these verses and try to understand Jesus' intent more on how we can learn to pray and how we can learn to apply these in our lives. So remember that as we, as we pray this, last week we, we spent a lot of time, or most of our time actually, on, on, on establishing our relationship with the Father. Establishing the fact that we have a relationship with God the Father so that we can truly pray this prayer because this prayer is, is, can only be really recited and prayed by someone that has a relationship with God. For the fact that it says, Our Father, which art in heaven, it must indicate that we, we must have a relationship with Jesus who would then give us, lead us to the Heavenly Father if we're going to pray this prayer. Right? Does that make sense? You wouldn't pray it if, if he's not your Father. So there's a relationship here. And this is... Um, given to us through Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, verses 13 and 14. 
says that he has delivered God. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness when, where we are an enemy of God into the domain of the son of, Jesus, the son of God who is Jesus. And now we have relationship because we've been transferred into his kingdom by the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So that's an important thing. And so it's only as we realize this can we see our position in heaven with our Father, where we see our Father seated on, seated on the throne, the highest throne in heaven. And not only is he just seated there, but he's looking down at all of us with the love of a Father, truly looking down into my life, your life, saying that that, that person is my child. They're my child because they've accepted my son. They're adopted into my family. And now I, I do more than just love them, but now I am actively involved in their life. And I want to be involved in their life. And I want to give them the desires of their heart and so forth. And it's as we understand this point, can we really see our proper perspective and relationship into the rest of the prayer that we're going to pray. So we're going to move into the second segment. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And what this is doing now, this is acknowledging that God is truly in control and he is sovereign. That we are saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And it's recognizing that God's position from heaven is more than just being a deist or just being in heaven, not really concerned about his creation, but rather he is very concerned. And so therefore we are praying, thy kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We see things from a very narrow and shallow angle in life today because all we see is what we see. But Jesus has a purpose and God has a purpose that will go through all eternity. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So from God's perspective, he is truly in control, and he's truly sovereign. And so we are praying then, his kingdom come to earth. We said last week, the difference between an earthly kingdom and God's kingdom is what? It's a matter of time. The earthly kingdom is a temporary kingdom. It is a kingdom that passes. It's a kingdom that's here for today and gone tomorrow. But God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It goes for here, now, and what is happening in my life here. But more importantly, it goes forever and ever. And therefore, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what we're saying is, your eternal kingdom come down into my temporary kingdom. I want the eternal things in life to be effective. And so therefore, I spend my time spending my efforts on the things that last forever. If I'm a good investor, that's where I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time on the things that last forever, not the things that are going to end at some point in time. So the four key words here are, thy will be done, God's will be done. And this is something that is hard for, for us to believe and really put into practice because we are, we are products of the American dream. And we talked about last week, the American dream is defined as, well, just one of, the, one of the definitions, a life of personal happiness and material comfort as traditionally sought by individuals in the United States. And, it's, and so, therefore, the, all the American dream is all focused on us. We are consumers of what we can get. If, it's not, if there's nothing in it for me, I'm out, basically is what it's saying. If I can't get something out of it, then it's not worth for me pursuing. 
That's the American dream. And unfortunately, this mentality has crept into the church and is evident in the westernized church where we have many professing Christians that have a false understanding of what it means to pray. That when they pray, they expect to hear from God and God to hear them and answer their prayers exactly the way they want the prayers to be answered. They're praying with that American dream mentality. It says, God, make me healthy, make me wealthy, make me happy, make me prosperous so that I can be content and happy in my life here on earth. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy and content here on earth. I'm not saying that we shouldn't want that. But if that's my focus of my prayers, then I'm really not praying as Jesus is teaching us to pray because he's praying, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So if I'm praying with the focus of God make me healthy, wealthy, and wise and all this good stuff here, then I'm, chances are I'm on a really, really good chance that I'm going to get off the narrow road and I'm going to fall on my, I'm going to find myself on the wide road where many are on it that leads to destruction because I'm going to be praying more my will rather than thy will be done. So it's important that we focus here on praying God's will be done even if it requires a sacrifice on my part because that, that's what keeps me on a narrow road and that narrow road leads to life. The prosperity gospel, which is very easily to fall into here in the American dream strategy, the, the prosperity gospel is defined quite contrary to God's will and praying. I, I read an article that talked about that. Let me just share with you the prosperity theology. It says this, that the prosperity theology is a religious belief among some Christians who hold that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver security and prosperity. The doctrine emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment, proposing that it is God's will for his people to be happy. Now, none of us are against happiness. None of us are against prosperity. I'm not saying that we live a life of poverty. But if I'm really going to pray God's will, then I have to make sure that I'm praying God's will. And God's will may appear to me at times not so prosperous because he may be wanting to discipline me or he may be wanting me to teach a bigger lesson that might require me to give up some of my things here on earth. So to pray God's will be done means that we truly desire God's purposes his plans, and his desires to be fulfilled in our lives at the expense, possibly, of some material wealth and health and strength. But I will say that it is a way that we surrender our hearts and lives to him to make him know that we are choosing him over the temporary kingdom. I am choosing his kingdom over my kingdom. And if we have a hard time praying that way a little bit, if we have a hard time surrendering our will, can I just tell you this, that God loves you more than you can imagine and his will for you is eternal life and fulfillment in this life, more than what we can understand. He is not about taking things from you just for the sheer pleasure of taking things. He does not get a thrill out of seeing his people suffer. Just so you know that, that's not God's heart. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So it is his desire to give you good gifts. But he gives them as we have our proper perspective in prayer. Does that make sense? That we're praying his will to be done. And when I start praying his will, and I, start, and I focus on his purposes, his greater purposes, over my insignificantly temporary purposes, and I am putting myself in a position of blessing that will last much more and much longer than what my temporary best plans could ever be. It's the perspective that I need to gain there. All right, so that leads us then to the next segment of this, of this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So now we're talking, now we're moving into a, a request for life's provision on a daily basis. We struggle with as well because this doesn't necessarily line up with the American dream either because the American dream mentality is all about planning for the future. We want to uh, plan for our retirement and we want to put away this big nest egg here. We want to work hard now in life and we want to put away our plan so that we, I get to be that magic 65 or 70 age. I can retire and I can go to the beaches and I can go to the golf courses and I can go play and I can retire. And so our whole strategy then is we're not looking for the daily needs. What we're looking at for is our 401k and our IRAs and we're looking for all the things that would, we can make our life secure on this earth. And I'm not saying that's bad either. I'm not saying we shouldn't plan, so don't, don't misread what I'm saying here at all. I'm just saying that um, we can be content still with our daily provisions, still putting our planning hats on. We can be content in that as long as that doesn't become our focus and that's all that we do. We can, you can retire and still be strong and effective in the kingdom. In fact, you can be more effective in the kingdom of God when you retire. So retirement does not mean biblically that you go into the proverbial uh, sands of heaven too soon <laughs> where you're going to lay in the beach, okay? No, you can biblically speak in retirement from kingdom work isn't even a reality. In, in God's word, I don't see God, people ever retiring from kingdom work. So just so you know, we can be very productive in our later years, maybe more productive in our later years than we were in our younger years. So just keep that in mind. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer and ask Him for our daily provisions, recognize that we're, we're not shortcutting or we're not trying to take away from our long-term plan. We're just trying to make sure that our priority is, Lord, give me, con give me contentment. Meet my needs today. Give me daily bread today, spiritually physically, emotionally, give me daily bread. So our daily provision is not just physical food, it's also his presence. There's four principles of what it means to pray for our daily needs. And I want to just go through these quickly. Our four principles. Number one, we make such requests according to God's plans and his desires and his character with the purpose of honoring him over ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All your life should be for God's glory. It doesn't make any difference what it is. Do it all. Work, work as hard as you can for God's glory. Our daily lives need to focus on 
that the way that honors God so that when he looks down upon our, our lives, the last thing I want to do is embarrass him. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is, is live a life that he would look and say, man, I'm not too proud of that. <laughs> I'm, not too tr I'm not too happy with what, with what he's choosing to do today. So I want to live a life that is honoring him. Whatever I do, do it all for the glory of God. So that's number one principle. Number two, we must desire and allow God to show to show his fatherly love for us. We must put ourselves in a position to allow him to bless us. There's, there's an old saying that says, if you want to have friends, you have to be friendly. If you want to have friends, you have to be friendly. Well, the same principle goes along with our Heavenly Father that if you want to be blessed, you need to put yourself in a position to be blessed. You need to be honoring him with a right perspective. You need to be honoring him with an obedient lifestyle. We need to stop worrying about how I can solve my own problems and start looking at how he can be my provider. Put him in a position that he can provide for me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or sow or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? How many hours do we spend worrying over things that we shouldn't worry about? That's part of asking the Lord to give us our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Stop worrying about it. We're asking him to provide for our needs. All right, that takes us to point three. The things that we pray for must supply our basic needs and give us the ability to serve Christ more effectively. Now, there is a vast difference between our needs and our wants. A big difference. And this passage if, is, is if, if it's applied correctly, is God is promising to provide for our needs daily. And you know what? We may be frustrated in our wants. If our hearts aren't lining up with God's desires, then we will find ourselves frustrated because we're not getting what we want while all along God is providing what we need. And that becomes very frustrating for you for your family, and for God. <laughs> because God's saying, I am giving you your needs. Would you be thankful for that? Seriously? Would you be thankful for that I'm meeting your needs today? Yeah, we're thankful. That's right, Dan. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and, in, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, how many people do you know of that have gone down that path? And maybe you've gone down it once or twice as well. Thank the Lord they brought you back. 
God knows exactly what we need to live on. And when we think we need more than that, be ready to be frustrated and tempted into that trap of greed, which is a sin as damaging as any sin that befalls any man. When I start getting greedy and I start holding for myself, hoarding things for myself, I'm taking myself out of the position of God's blessing because it's all about me. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, asking God for our daily needs is more about checking our motives and our heart. Being sure that we're not becoming overly concerned with our own well-being and our own passions and becoming a greedy person. And then this takes us right into point four. We may ask for things only as we are faithful to give, God, to, give to God and to others. Man, God is a God of generosity. Do you know that? God is a God of generosity and he expects his children to also be like him in this regard. We're created in God's image. His image is generous. We should be generous if we're going to be in God's image. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 8. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, that is a good promise. That is something that we really should think about and dwell on that. That God loves generosity. God is consistently faithful to his people. And it's his plans to share his goodness with us as we share God's goodness to others. We just become a river. We don't become a stagnant pond of gimme, 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 but yet what comes in flows out. And the more that I give, the more God gives in. I will promise you that you will never be able to outgive God. I will promise you that the more you give of your time, of your effort, of your finances, of your prayer life, of your service to others, that God will always meet your needs. He will not allow you to go wanting if you're faithful in giving of what you have. That is a principle of biblical perspective. There's a lot more we can discuss on that. We don't have time. That's really for the nature of another, another sermon. But uh, I just want you to know that God's will is that you be generous. Give us this day our daily bread. And then it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or some translations, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a request for forgiveness from God and also a statement of our need to forgive others. Boy, we could spend a lot of time on this one. Because one of the greatest hindrances to unanswered prayer is unforgiveness. When I hold an ought against a brother, I am taking myself out of God's provision of blessing. 
not only am I taking myself out of God's provision for blessing, but I'm also putting myself out of his own area to forgive me of my sin. Just look down to the next, uh, next passage, next scripture, verse 14 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, For if you forgive other people, then when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's good. But then read 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty serious, guys. This is pretty serious stuff. We don't have the right. If you want to be in heaven someday, if you want to be a, fo a follower of Jesus, truly where you can call him your father, you do not have the right to hold a grudge. You do not have the right to have an unforgiven uh, person in your, in your life. You must forgive them. Now, what does it mean to forgive somebody? Does it mean that you're saying that what they did when they hurt you because they legitimately probably did hurt you, does it mean that it was okay? No, you're not saying that. All you're saying is you release them from the debt that they owe you. It's a releasing of that, and it gives you freedom. When you release that debt, it will make you so much more effective. It will put you in such a different perspective with God. And you're not the, uh, if you have a problem with this like I do, okay, we're not the only one. Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked the question. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> That's pretty good. And Peter said, I could do seven times. I, I could probably do that one. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times <laughs> or basically you never end the forgiveness of people and then Jesus went on to tell him a parable of a servant that got into fell into great debt with the king and I'll just describe the parable then we can get into the answer that Jesus gave but here this servant got into great debt I don't know how he got into such great debt but it was so big that he just there's no way that he could work himself out of it so the king was going to have him put in prison because he couldn't pay the debt. So the servant went and begged the king, oh, forgive me, O king, of this debt. And the king did. He forgave him. So the man then goes out free now of his debt, totally let, I mean, totally forgiven of the debt, not just uh, with a payment plan, but forgiven of his debt. So now this man goes out and he's living his life and he runs across a man that owes him some money but just a little bit of money. And rather than forgiving that man the way the king forgave him, he got angry with that man. He said, pay me back. I want my money back. And the guy couldn't pay him, so the guy was going to have him thrown into jail. Well, this didn't sit very well with the king. When the king found out what was going on here, he was not really pleased with this man's behavior because he had just been forgiven him a great amount of debt, and now this guy was going after a guy that owed him 10 bucks and was going to have him thrown in jail. Not a good thing. So this is the answer. When the king heard about what happened, he called the servant in, and he said this. Matthew chapter 18, verses 32, 32 and 34, through 34. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had in, on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. That's a pretty big penalty because he couldn't pay it. So now he's going to be tortured. How is he going to earn money to pay it back when he's being tortured all the time? Basically, he's in a really bad spot now, right? So what does this mean for us today? What's the point of the parable? Read verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. That's how serious forgiveness is, guys. That's how serious it is. So this isn't, this isn't something we should take lightly. Forgive me my trespasses so that I can forgive those that have trespasses against me. So just take a minute right now. Just in your mind, who owes you something? And what can you do about it? How can you forgive them? Uh, don't wait for them to come and ask. Forgive them right now. Forgive them right now. And just say, Father, I forgive them. I release them. I forgive them. It doesn't mean what they did was right. You'll be the judge. Someday, Father, you'll be the judge. But I release them. And when I release them, I'm no longer held bondage to that debt. Powerful principle. Powerful principle. Then the next two segments we're going to take together yet separately. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And lead us not into temptation. This basically is a request for help from our own fleshly temptations. And then deliver us from evil is a request for deliverance and protection from the devil by God. But I want to break these apart because they really are different. Segment 5 says, is, is that then lead us not into temptation. This is a time that we recognize our own fleshly desires. And it is our responsibility to own them. It's our responsibility to own our temptations. It's our responsibility not to blame other people for our problems. We live in a society, in a culture, with a world, with a world perspective that it's, everybody's trying to find somebody to blame. Somebody's got to be blamed for this. My, my, I had a poor childhood. My, my, I was abused, or I was neglected, or I was talked badly to, so I'm going to blame my parents I'm going to blame somebody else. I'm going to blame my employer. I'm going to blame somebody. Not to say that they didn't do anything bad, but that's not the point. The point is that we need to take responsibility for our own actions in the process of getting through life's issues. We live in a culture that wants to find reasons to blame somebody because when I do that, it takes the pressure off of me having to deal with my issues. I'm blaming somebody else, therefore I don't have to deal with it. Because it's their problem. Well, I can tell you right now that that kind of twisted theology doesn't lead to freedom. And it doesn't lead to inner healing. The only path to freedom is found through the forgiving grace of Jesus. As we're honest with ourselves to acknowledge our own faults and our own flaws and that I need a Savior, that's the way to freedom. And I need to be able to recognize that it's I need to be responsible for my temptations. We're all going to be tempted. 
Second point on this one, we're all going to be tempted and we must recognize that the temptation is not a sin. The temptation is not the sin. How many times do you feel guilty because you're tempted? That's not the, that's not the sin. You know, you can't keep the birds from flying over your, your head, right? That's the old parable, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. So when the temptation comes, we need to learn how to deal with it so that it doesn't become a sin. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. James says, When tempted, because not if tempted, but when you're tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So do you see the process? The temptation comes, but it's not sin. It's just a temptation. But yet, when I allow it to get into my brain, and I think about it, and I dwell on it, or I act it out, all of a sudden the temptation now turns into a birthing process of sin. And when sin, it may be just a small little thing, it may be just a little backbiting. It may be just a little gossip. It may be just spreading a little bit of a lie. It doesn't sound like a big deal. But what I'm doing is I'm giving it an opportunity to grow in my heart and my life, and all of a sudden it, it turns into a sin that can so easily entangle me. And now I'm tied into it. <laughs> my dad would say, if you're going to be a liar, you've got to have a great memory. Think about that. If you're going to be a liar, you've got to have a great memory because you've got to remember who you told what lie to. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get yourself twisted up because you told the wrong lie to the wrong guy. Right? So much easier to tell the truth. You don't have to have such a great memory that way. Just tell the truth. The responsibility here is that we're to take captive the temptation and not allow it to captivate us and take us into captivity we're to make sure that we put the filter on. Put that prayer filter on we've talked about a few weeks ago, that we run every temptation, everything through that filter and say, God, do I dwell in this thought? Is this a thought that glorifies you? Or is this a thought that's going to lead me down this path of sin? And I learn to discern the temptation. And I learn to either reject it, if it's not going to take me down the path of holiness and glorifying God, I need to take that thought captive and kill it. Destroy it. Don't put it away that I'll come back and think about later. Don't put it in the I'll get to it later box. No, put it in the destructive box. Put it in the shredder box. Just shred it and get rid of it and don't go back to it. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we live in a world that we don't wage war the way it does. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine, have, we have divine power to demolish the strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's our power. That's our prerogative. That's the choice that we have. Recognize the worldly system of sin is never going to go away. 
You're never going to be delivered. As long as you're taking breaths here, you're never going to be delivered from the temptation of sin. We must be prepared to fight it. We must be prepared to deal with it. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're asking Him, lead us not into temptation. Another way to look at this, maybe think of it this way. Lord, lead us away from temptation. Lead us away from temptation. Give us the discernment to see us for what it is and then give us the strength to walk away from it. Give us the strength to walk away from it. Lead us away from that temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is part of owning your own temptation. (laughs) This is part of owning your own problems. That you don't have the right to blame it on somebody else because if you are tempted, God will not tempt you more than you can bear. He may test you and it may be severe testing in your opinion, but he will not put you in a position that he doesn't give you a way out. You can always walk away. You can always turn off the computer to that porn site. You can always not go into that bar. You can always put that, whatever that habit is, whatever that issue is, you can always walk away from it. But he's given you the choice. Are you strong enough? And he's saying, I will give you the strength if you'll ask me. You don't have to continue to think that way about people. Whatever that is, that, that unforgiveness, the backbiting, the the habit, physical habit, the spending money, the gambling. I don't care. You name the sin. There is not one sin worse than another. It's all not right. And you can walk away from it. And God will give you the ability to walk away from it, if you will. And lead us not into temptation. Or lead us away from the temptation. Give us discernment to see it for what it is and the strength to walk away from it. And then, segment six, but deliver us from evil. All right, now this is a little bit different. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a request for deliverance and a protection from the devil. And why this is a little bit different is that there are some things we're, we're going here to God our Father and we're asking him to deliver us. There are some things that happen to us that truly outside, are outside of your control. There are some things that have happened to you that, are, that were not your choice that you were treated wrongly, you were abused, you were whatever, out of your control. And there are some things that only God can deliver us from. This is really a big topic here. And we might come back to this. We probably will come back to this in later teaching. But we have to recognize that we are up against an enemy that is much stronger than we are on our own. You, are, you and I are no match for the devil. I cannot stand against him in my own strength. There, he does have the ability and the power to possess and oppress. He does have the ability to bring lots of havoc in our lives. I need deliverance from that. I need God to deliver me from demonic oppression and strongholds. Maybe I gave them a foothold. Maybe I was the one that gave them a foothold years ago by doing some of the things that I did. Well, The devil will stay there and he will oppress and he will nag and he will be there until you get deliverance from that. 
And it made, that's the kind of stuff that Jesus came for because he cast out devils and demons out of lots of people. And those demons that Jesus cast out, they're still here today. He didn't take any of those demons and cast them into the eternal lake of fire then. He cast them out, but they're still here in this world. We're still fighting against those demons today. And they have lots of practice dealing with people. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm just trying to make you aware that there are some things that we need to be delivered from. That's why we pray this way. Deliver us from evil. And this is a whole other teaching that we can get into later. But I know, I want you to know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We can be victorious over this. Ephesians chapter 6. We all know this passage. We probably can recite it by heart. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything else, to stand. We can be delivered from the oppression of the enemy. Amen. That's big. That's really big because I tell you, some, some of us are so comfortable in the oppression that we don't know what true victory is like. There comes a point in time when you need, to be get, you need to get desperate and say, I want to be free. I don't want this oppression. I don't want to deal with this demonic stronghold in my life. I don't want to have to be dealing with this constant sin that I battle all the time or this condemnation or this guilt or whatever it is. I want to be free. And when I start praying that way, he will deliver us. That's his power. That's what he does. There's so much more there. If you want to talk about that privately sometime, come see me. We can talk about deliverance. There's a deliverance ministry that needs to happen in this community. It needs to happen. Now, I tell you, folks, Jesus, understand that this is in the Lord's Prayer. Who is reciting this prayer? Christians. His disciples. People that are followers of Christ are reciting this prayer to say, deliver me. Therefore, there must be something to be delivered from. Christians can be oppressed. Not possessed. Big difference. I want you to know the difference. But they can be oppressed and they can be hindered and they can be... You can have a hitchhiker on your life that goes with you through your whole life. Or you can be delivered from him. That's huge. Number seven. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is where we end in more praise to God. This is where we know that we finally have the victory, right? We've come now to this prayer time where we've come to the understanding that God is our Father in heaven. He loves us. He has compassion on us. He sees us. We pray his will be done. We've submitted to him. We've surrendered to him. We've asked for his daily provision on a daily basis for all things, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all of it. We've forgiven people. 
We've asked to be forgiven from him. We've forgiven people. We've, so we are following the steps here of, of God's plan of, of provision and his plan for deliverance and his plan for freedom and his plan for victory. And now we say, Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. End the story. I win. Amen. There's power in prayer, folks. There's power in praying the model of the Lord's Prayer. And I've got to tell you, I'm so excited about it. Jackie, would you come? And then you take the time in this time of journaling. This is where you then listen to what the Lord's going to speak to you. Because he is going to speak to you. He wants you to know what he wants you to know. And he will speak to you in your heart. And you start writing these things down and meditate on those things. And then dwell on them and say, Lord, just continue to strengthen me and give me more of who you are. And this is a time of true celebration. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. And I believe we're going to do this for the next few weeks, maybe months, I'm not sure. But we're learning how to pray the Lord's Prayer in segments. And we dwell on each segment. And it helps us to give us a guideline for our prayer time. But at the same time, it gives us freedom to pray without restraint in any, area, any given area, but it keeps us on the right track. It's a powerful way to pray. I'm excited about it. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. So much power in praying for each people. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effective, fervent prayer, a passionate prayer, a prayer with direction, a prayer with passion. The enemy has no stand against that. We pray that way, we win. Don't pray wimpy prayers. Don't pray prayers and say, oh, well, maybe. No, pray fervently. Pray with passion. Pray righteously. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I really do pray, Lord, that we would really learn to pray the Lord's Prayer. Not just pray it. I pray that we could live it. I pray, God, that it would, be, it would go with us throughout our whole day. That it would just set the tone for how we live. It would set the tone for how we deal with people, how we deal with employers or employees, how we deal with our spouses, our children, our schoolmates. Wherever we're at in life, Lord, truly I pray that this would settle into our heart and into our mind. That we would begin to embrace your principles, your thoughts, your desires, your kingdom that we would truly make you the center point of our heart and life in every area of our life, that we don't have anything unturned, we don't have any area of our life that we control, keep you out of. No, Lord, we open our life up and we surrender our heart and life to you. Holy Spirit, please fall on us today. Fall on us. Is that your prayer this morning? Is that your prayer this morning? Is your heart open to the Lord really to say, fall on me? Lord, sur I surrender to you. I surrender. Can you say that? I surrender. I submit unto your will, Father. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Lord, you are my king of my kingdom. You are the king 
of my kingdom. Let's just take a couple minutes here. And let's just dwell on that thought for a minute. Let's just, as Jackie plays, leads us into a song, that we just spend the time to allow the Lord's Prayer to settle. You might, you might even want to recite it a few times. Recite it slowly to yourself a few times. Let each segment sink in. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. I praise you, Jesus. I praise you, Father. I thank you, Father, for being my Father. I thank you for looking down upon me and seeing and calling you my, me my, your son. I thank you for that relationship that we have. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Father, I submit my heart and life to you right now. Lord, that your kingdom would fall upon me, that I would just get out of the way and that you have complete authority in my life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that I would line up my focus, my perspective, my desires on heavenly things, on the things that last forever. Lord, and I will trust you with every aspect of my life. I don't need to be protective. I don't need to have to hold this thing back because I don't trust you. If I can trust you for eternity, I can trust you for today. Therefore, Father, then I say, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily provision today. Lord, that I don't worry about tomorrow. I don't have a worry per, uh, mentality that you're not going to be there. No, I trust you. You're going to give me my provision today. You're meeting my every needs today. Every area of my life. And forgive me, Father, of my sin. Forgive me of my trespasses so that I can forgive those who have trespasses against me. So, Lord, let me focus on first forgiving people. I forgive today. I release today. All those people in the past that have hurt me, I release them. I give them to you. I pray that you would bless them. I pray, God, that you would bless their lives today. I forgive them. Father, please forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the times that I failed you. Forgive me for the times that I picked up the worry. I picked up the things I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said about people done the things I shouldn't have done. You know, whatever it is, forgive me, Father. And then lead me not into temptation. Lord, help me to own it. Help me to own the things that I've allowed into my life. I'm not blaming people, but help me to own it so that I can ask you to lead me away from temptation. That you would strengthen me to be able to walk away from those things. That I would truly not have to go back to that sin. I would not have to go back to that habit. Whatever it is, and deliver me, Father, from all evil. Deliver me. Free me, God. Give me freedom of my heart, freedom of my life, that I could live it fully for you. Yeah. And I worship you. I worship you. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I just encourage you throughout your week's meditations to pray that way. Pray in a way that you can take the word back to the Lord. And you can pray effectively and fervently. And much will come from that kind of prayer. Freedom will come into your life and into those around you. You will pray differently. You will pray with power. You will pray with authority. This house will be a house of prayer. That's what I feel the Lord telling me. This will be a house of prayer. Centerpoint Assembly will be known for a house of prayer. Not just coming in and saying a few prayers and going, but I'm talking power prayer. Prayer that changes life. Prayer that changes issues. Prayer that frees us and delivers us. Prayer that gives us a true hope of eternity. That's my heart. Amen. Jackie, would you just lead us in a worship song? And let's just take this minute or two of worship and honor him.
Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful that we have the authority to come. Thankful that we have the relationship to come to you and call you our Father. And Father, we just declare mercy and grace and victory in our hearts and lives today. Go with us, Father, throughout this week as we go and remind us how to pray. Teach us every day how to pray according to your plan. Help us to follow that example. Help us to walk in victory this week. Help us to know that you love us and that you have us under your wing. We praise your name. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.